Hello and welcome to the N17 podcast. Um, if you're a first time listener, this voice uh, being the intro means nothing to you. Um, if you're a long time fan, and I'm sure many, many, many of you are, um, obviously this is a bit weird. Uh, so Cosmo is not hosting this week. Um, my name is Eddie. I've been joined today by Glenn. Yo. And Aaron. Good evening. So at least you've got the comfort of some stalwarts on the podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, get ready for some funky new flows. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, at least I'm not a stranger also. Um, but yeah, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling after the weekend? General thoughts? Um, is it more of the same, more of what you felt after the Wolves game? Or is it even maybe a bit more positive? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think going into the game, I don't think anyone was really that optimistic. Like, we knew what we were in for pre-game, like, before the like we saw the lineups. Um, it says something in my squad predictor that I haven't really uh, put a score against Tottenham this season. And I went 2-1 against Spurs this weekend. I know that's sacrilege and whatever, but... I was kind of just expecting a kind of almost they're going to do really well. They're well organized. Emery's been unbelievable for them. He's got he's got them playing great football. Um he's got some of their players really improved. Um I just think it was always going to be a difficult game. They've got a deep squad. They rotate well. Um we obviously have our injury issues, so I was just expecting kind of a close-ish game, but to be narrowly sort of edged to the result in the end and is what it is at the end of the day. We're on a process, to quote some horrible fans, but we're part of it now and we just need to sort of stick with it until we get the squad that we need to play the football that we want to, really. Yeah, I mean, the interesting caveat here is that um, both of you guys were at the game, uh, so uh, you guys again have a unique perspective on the the game. Obviously, being at home, you get to see things from so many different angles and whatnot. And yeah. in the stadium, it's like a it's very much more visceral and emotional. Aaron, I know you were delighted with your seats. So um, yeah, how was yeah. the experience for you overall? No, yeah, the, the seats were brilliant. Obviously, norm- normally I'm sat quite low down and you get a very different, like, it's nice to be close to players and like almost like in the action. But when you're, when you're up higher up, you can like, you see the game fully and like you, 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 you notice the little movements and, um, almost watching it more like a chess match. Um, so it was, it was definitely an interesting perspective, but I felt like we were coming into the game a bit of a, a wounded animal. We we're almost limping into the game, and then to lose Benton Kerr so early on, we will definitely go into this in detail. But to lose him so earlier on, like, and to bring on like Mister Anti Vibes, like, I, I just didn't. Uh, it was it was a tough a tough substitution. It was a tough watch from the moment that Hoybear came on. Um, but I'm um, yeah, I'm I'm not going to lose all optimism because obviously. Um, we're not doing too badly given the hand we've been dealt. Um, but we know the fixtures that are on the horizon. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see what, what transpires over the next, well, over the festive period. 
Well, yeah, I mean, much like how this lineup, this uh, podcast lineup has been cobbled together, um, <laughs> we've got. Uh, well, let's look in. Let's look into what it, the the mood and the and the situation was like going into the game. So, going into the game uh, as a mixture of uh, injuries and suspensions, I think we had nine first team players that were not available for selection. So this includes um, people like Romero and Basuma who are both suspended. Um, and then just a whole host of injuries, including Van de Ven, Madison, um, some longer term injuries, Sessignon, uh, Perisic and Manuel Solomon. Um, and then some uh, more new ones in Richarlison. Um, and then on the day, uh, or the or the day before, perhaps are so. Um, we're talking about yeah, nine first team players, um, not in contention to start or even play a minute of football. Um, and any team is going to struggle, especially a team that is in the middle of a transition in terms of playing style, attitude. You know, betting in a new manager. It's an incredibly unlucky hand to be dealt. Um, and that was just going into the game, obviously. And I suppose the reason why this is important is that, um, like you said, Glenn, we are in a situation where we're going through a major rebuild, a, a major, um, the beginning of a project. Now, all of these like buzzwords, like project rebuild process, it mm-hmm. is something that has only just started. Um, but I do believe that the really positive start has put a very um, peculiar um, peculiar bent on the uh, what's going on at Tottenham. And I wanted to get your feelings on this, guys. Obviously, like you said, going into the game, we had so many things going off the going on off the pitch with uh, availability issues. Um, do you think that we've been not just unlucky? But we've fallen subject to not an overhype, but certainly people trying to put Spurs in the same position that Arsenal were last season, despite Arsenal having uh, like three seasons until they got to that position. Yeah, I, I definitely think the start of the season was also a blessing and a curse. Like it, it's, it's like a weird sort of paradox where it gave us this unbelievable buffer. Um, from the start of the season to where we could have these three losses and sort of still be in an okay position. But also having three losses in a row at this point compared to the start of the season is it's like given this weird sort of vibe around like Spurs fans and the stadium where we started so well and now it's kind of fallen fallen a bit off. Um it's given this weird vibe around Ange as well, which is kind of just really strange because if we'd have lost the first three games of the season and then went on a 10-game unbeaten run, it w- we would have been like, oh, this guy's like fucking amazing. He's like the best thing ever. Where where we're kind of just like, we need more than a season to judge like how good we can be under Ange. And it it was really weird seeing the squad on the weekend because everyone got really excited about all these attacking players and then you realise on the bench that we have two goalkeepers two players who have been brought up from the youth team and and Andrew's actually said since that he didn't want to bring any more players up from the youth team because they haven't trained with the first team 
and he doesn't want to do um, what some managers do in basically ripping up uh, the youth team who have had a really good start to their season. Um, we also only fielded uh, eight out of the ten possible subs that we were allowed to. Um, I believe it was either eight or nine. I'm not sure. Um, with Dyer being the only sort of first team centre back named in the whole squad, not in the first team. Um, starting lineup was really strange, but I was just kind of excited. I just where Stellini went wrong last year playing this sort of like two attacking wing backs and a four in the back. It was just like this guy's gone crazy, but with Ange, it's sort of like this guy's just starting his um, sort of tenure and he has these injury issues. So it, it was like really weird where I was happy that it was so attacking, especially in midfield. But at the same time, it's just like a damning indictment of where our squad's at at the moment and how many windows we're going to have to endure of sort of this in-between rebuild phase, like you said, Eddie. Yeah, I thought... You make an interesting point, so it's one that we can definitely move on to. So, um, the the lineup that you refer to, um, the surprising lineup was a lineup that had four fullbacks as a as a back four. Um, I know we've joked about four centre backs under Mourinho, um, but try the opposite. So you had a back mm-hmm. four for people who who didn't know um, Poro. Emerson, Davies, and Idogi. So when you, when you put it like that, it's it's almost no no shock that we concede from a from a set piece and a simple one too um, due to some poor positioning. Um, but obviously, we'll discuss that at a later point. When I saw that lineup, I was really fearful. Um, not just because. Uh, Emerson is not centre back. Um, that's one thing. Um, Davies is also barely a centre back. Um, he's played centre back in the back three, but it's been absolute horror when he's played in the back four. Um, and although he played well, I thought against Wolves, you like saw his limitations um, at centre back again. Obviously, those limitations are exasperated when you're playing against, uh, or playing alongside, sorry, Eric Dyer. I guess you're playing against Eric Dyer, even though he's on your team. Um, but uh, yeah, I did think that whilst we were really excited to see the um, the attacking lineup, the weaknesses in our team were there to see from like just before even the game started. And I wonder, Aaron, did you think it would be a case of um, us just like just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks? Or did you think that the lineup reflected something that um, Ange thought was best to do given the circumstances um, and actually much more considered considering what he saw against Wolves? I think if you if you look at the the front six, the the front three and then the midfield three, I think it pretty much picked itself that there were, those are the players that were readily available. Hoybier has not played himself into the team in any way, shape or form, despite him being the first uh, midfield substitute. Skip hasn't hit any new heights for the last five seasons, and I think he's replicating that again now. Um, so everyone, I think people mainly were excited to see Kulisevsky in, in midfield, and I think he did brilliantly. I don't see any reason why he couldn't play 
there again if we needed him to. Um, uh, I was I was excited for for Brian Hill. I know Glenn was was simply not excited in any way, shape, or form. Um, I I looked so, forward yeah, to seeing him. Excited as well. Um, the I've just had this thought now about the the centre back situation, and obviously we are we know that Eric Dyer is not a player that Ange fancies for our system or for the team long term at all. We know that he has stepped in in the past, but I just wonder whether this was a a small message from Ange to to Mister Levy saying, "I I haven't got a centre back that I can use." Admittedly, some of that has come from Romero being an absolute whatever word you want to use to describe him maniac um with his with his um disciplinary record um again you look at Basuma he's out for his own doing um five yellow cards and a red card what we have about 13 or so games in is quite quite some total um and i always find when Basuma gets booked he never plays the rest of the game very well and he almost has become a passenger. He's a shell of himself when when he's holding that booking over him. Um, so that I think that yeah, the front six really picked itself. I thought Porro's been brilliant, apart from when he tried to like nutmeg Douglas. I think it was Douglas Louise on our eighteen yard line. I thought bloody hell, that was a it was a bold one, but we got away with that. Um, but other than that, I think Porro has been one of our shining lights this season, quite unsung as well. Um, Idogi possibly had one of his worst games for us, in my opinion. Um, I, I some, He looked disinterested at times, I thought, or disinterested or gassed. I, w- I wasn't sure. He, he looked shattered or or not bothered. And I hope it was just that he was really tired. Um, but the the centre-backs, yeah, they said, like I said, I think maybe it could be a message from um, Ange to the board. Um, coming back to, to Brian Hill, I was really excited for him to get a bit of a bit of a game but the the bloke in front of me he he summarized it pretty well and he was he, he was old geezer he was just like he doesn't think he doesn't think and i think he just really summarized what was going on he was getting the ball in space he was maybe beating a man or two he was trying to make things happen but when it came to finding the right pass at the end of it or actually doing something decisive it just wasn't there um and i think that's maybe why he's never really got going in a spurs shirt it just hasn't quite happened for him. Um, Brennan Johnson could have had two goals, but didn't. On another day, I think he does have some goals. It was a great save from, from Martinez for one of them. And the other one, I think, either he, I can't remember because I haven't watched it back. Either he was offside or he passed it to someone who was offside when he should have done something else. But um, I'm happy for Johnson to keep keep his place in the team. Obviously, he's not going to be shifted out at all. Um, all in all, squad depth is low because of the situation we're in, but I have lack of sympathy for our disciplinary record because that's down to us. Yeah, I think you mentioned a few players there, Jed, and you say they have disappointing games and... Uh, yeah, I don't Jed, know if Jed's on, yeah, Jed, Jed's not on the podcast. Jed, I, I, I literally just caught it like mid-flow as well. I was like, I'm so sorry, Aaron. You're not Jed. Negativity. And, and, I, and I can Going see my your face. And you're not Jed. You're still not Jed. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned a few players there um, that didn't quite perform to the levels that we, we've sort of seen from them at, at points. Um, and I just I just go back to thinking about how many injuries each one of these has had. It's really weird. So like Brennan Johnson obviously really struggled in the last half an hour. Um, he actually signalled for a sub 
at one point. I'm not sure if you spotted that, but he signaled for a sub at about 70 minutes and he didn't get subbed at all. Played the full 90. Oh, maybe he came off for Veli's late on in the game. I'm not sure. Anyway, but didn't get a sub until that was like late 80, anyway. Yeah, 85, 90 minutes. Um, Brian Hill's just come back from an injury. Um, Giovanni Lestelso, who we didn't mention, but has had a really good had a really good game. Um, I, I agree. I agree. Injury. Adogi is literally just come back from an injury and had Ben Davies playing centre back on the inside of him. Um, so I think Ange's message to him was conserve your energy because if you get injured, we're fucked. Is what, <laughs> what the message from Ange might have been. Um, and it felt like that early on in the first half when Ange maybe had a bit of a pop at him for making this very, very deep run into their half and losing the ball quite quite easily. Um, I just think he held himself back a bit. I think a lot of these players are carrying knocks, which is a which is a again a damning indictment of our squad because we actually can't replace them. We don't have players that can play in their place. So if they can play sixty minutes, they can almost play ninety. Yeah. Is the kind of the message that I'm seeing because a lot of these are coming back from injuries and yeah, they didn't have great performances, but I'm just like. I don't want to say, oh, yeah, do like the, the Sky Sports answer of, oh, yeah, I'm proud of the boys who put everything in. But I I am kind of proud of them because these are players that probably in other circumstances would be getting 30 minutes of a game and maybe making an impact off the bench because they're coming back from these injuries, but they're having to play 90 instead. And I think that they honestly, they came in and played excellently. And we lost 2-1 a couple of mistakes switched off but really we should have killed the game and that that's just how it is these players haven't had minutes they're not sharp and that's just how i feel kind of i think that i think that like brings us really nicely on to the players that did come in so um we really haven't even talked about benton core because he only played about 20 minutes um but benton core people were were thinking, does he play in the six? Does he play in the eight? Who does he replace in this team when he's fully fit? And gives him the green light at the six. And I thought he was simply superb. Yeah. Um, I think we saw what Ange was seeing at the six for Bentoncourt, a very different player to Basuma, um, but a player that can pass the ball very crisply, um, can turn out of pressure. Um, not in the same way that Basuma does, uh, in the sense that he carries the ball, but very secure on the ball, um, loves to uh, tackle as well. Um, and a player that has, I think, a bit more like restraint in his game to Basuma, although I do think that um, what Basuma does bring alongside Pars, uh, um, Sars, a lot of dynamism in that midfield. So I don't think that like, I don't think you lose anything or gain anything by having either of them at the six. Uh, they're just different players. Um, we saw some brilliant line uh, breaking passes from him as well. I think essentially I say all of that and that's what you lose when he comes off on the, off the pitch. Um, I think that what Hoiberg does that, um, that Benson Cord doesn't do is that he ponders on the ball a lot. Um, he's he's very he, he's the first thing in his the first thing in his mind is to either like quickly get it is to quickly get it out of his feet 
or to take so long you're almost like all you can do is pass backwards um there's not a lot of consideration in this football uh which i it's just frustrating because you could see the night and day difference between Benton Court and Hoiberg it was it was on show um yeah i and like you said Glenn these players are just coming back from injury i know you played 86 87 minutes for uh, Uruguay in Shashel break but these players are just coming back from injuries and potentially if we did have a fully fit squad that Benton Court probably doesn't start um or if Basuma was not suspended Benton Court might not have started um, or maybe he starts in the eight, but the the reality of it was that he was playing in a very very pressured position, um, and although you don't expect someone to tackle the way that um, Cash does, uh, you, that is a position where you, uh, when you're under pressure, you will get tackled. He did get tackled prior to that, and every time someone got close to Benton Core, my heart was like sinking because. You don't know how his injury is going to hold up. It's a it's a very it's a very sensitive injury to come back from. Um, and uh, obviously, Glenn, I don't need you. I'm preaching to the to the to the choir here um, about that injury. But um, just the way that Benzikor plays, with the way he twists and turns, it's just like oh my gosh, that that knee's like like being held together by like duct tape and prayers. Um, <laughs> but uh, with that said, yeah, I just think that. I was really, I, I really hope that the injury isn't long term for Benton Core. I don't think, I don't know if it will be. It, it did look like an an impact one, but you just don't know these days. Um, we haven't even heard anything. Um, we're recording this on Monday, um, so yeah, it's just we'll have to see on that one. Um, and yeah, as you guys mentioned as well, we had Lacelso in the eight with Kulisewski. Um Some interesting quotes coming out. Um, from Kuliseski. Um he says that you know playing in that position he felt like more like himself um, he felt more like the Kuliseski that he's familiar with over his career he has played as a 10 at Juventus and at Parma obviously he came into Spurs as a right winger and had some success at the beginning of his Spurs career as a right winger but we've seen that success and that um decisiveness slow down um over the last season or so um which is bad because he's only been here for like two and a half seasons um but uh yeah I think that when you when you look at it in that sense he's maybe the closest thing that we have in terms of creativity to medicine in that position um potentially Lacelso. I, I mean I wouldn't mind seeing either of them in there I think you have them both in there Without Benton Court, I I don't want to see, really want to see that again, unless it's Basuma maybe. Um, back, yeah. Who's who's obviously back, but are you gonna? So I know we will talk about it later. Are you gonna play that midfield three against Man City? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play. It. I mean, even if Pap Sar's like fit for sixty percent, like sixty percent, I'd like. I, I'd play that send midfield. It. I'd play that midfield against City. I'd, I'd send it. Do, do you know what it is? I I can't watch honestly that was Hoybier's worst performance I think I've seen in a Spurs shirt that's how bad it was was like, it worse than Wolves yeah yes yeah yeah like he's the reason that we can see the second goal like he's just he, standing like, nearby doesn't do anything it's so frustrating and what he does is he hides for the out ball as well so Ange wants that midfielder to come in and be the out ball but what Hoybier wants to do 
is be the second ball so that he's already passed the man so he actually doesn't have to receive the ball under pressure it's it's so obvious when you're when you're sitting up like high and like Aaron said you can see everything like so clearly it's so obvious that he just hides from being that first ball and it kills our center backs it kills our out ball it kills our output it is horrendous it, it uh-huh. was joy you know it, it was made even worse by watching Bentancourt in the first 30 yeah. minutes and then seeing how bad Hoybier like was in that role I never want to see him like play for Spurs again. That's how bad he was. And I, I, I think the last time I was on here was a little while ago. But the last time I was on here, I was actually singing his praises and saying that every time he came on, he had like a good impact because he worked defensively. Um, I think he's, I think he's now lost any hunger that he had because I don't think he, re- I think he realizes that he doesn't start no matter what, no matter how hard he tries because he's not in the right profile. Um. And I think he'll be. I think he'll be so sold in January, because I think he'll have suitors, and I think we'll take any amount of money for him because he doesn't suit the system in any way, shape, or form. Can I ask you a question though? If Hoybier scores that goal, does your perception of him change? No, no, no. But but in in the sense that we don't re- like, we don't really have players he that was, can do that. He, he was very obviously the worst player on the pitch um, as soon as he came on. Like, yeah. it, it was it was really clear to see for, yeah, for in me. In such a vital how, position. Yeah, had, how much Spurs dropped off um, and how much Villa targeted him. Because before, they weren't targeting Benton Cole with the press at all. And then as soon as uh, Hoybier comes on, it's like, yeah, this is someone who he can target with the press because he dawdles on the ball when he does get it um, from the man as an out ball. And when he doesn't, he's someone who, who we can sort of step off of, step off of because we know he won't play that killer ball in between lines. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like the worst of both worlds. It was, it was really bad. It was, you... I know, I know people will say that before he hasn't had these performances, but this was like seriously, seriously awful. Do you think that it was exasperated by the fact that we didn't have sense backs that could also uh, like break the lines? Because I, I, I do think I do think sometimes like people and I don't really want to talk about Romero because he still really frustrated me. Um, but we saw four Spurs have done it so so often, but especially for Argentina in the international break, his line breaking passing was sensational. And he does do that. And sometimes we can bypass the six because Romero makes those passes. I'm sorry, Emerson will never do that in his life. Not at, not, not even in midfield and especially not at centre-back. So do you think that it's exasperated by the fact that Hoiberg doesn't want to receive under pressure and Emerson needs someone to come deep? And so you have both of those issues at the same time, which means Emerson is either passing... So back to Davies often or like waiting for someone to drop in deep and we weren't doing that. And and there were times where um actually Kulisevsky was deeper than than Hoybier. Uh, I just I I can't for the life of me understand um yeah what Hoybier is doing in that position. Um like you said, Glenn, I think it's, it's cowardly to hide um especially with the way that they pressed um 
like hiding behind the striker is it, what do you want our centre backs to do? There were times where um, our centre backs were passing out to our wingers, and then our wingers were going directly back to our goalkeeper, um, which is just outrageous because there was no there, there was no one in in that midfield that was l- like looking for that pop off round the corner um, from either from either wingers, and I think it, that I mean that's almost the same reason why um, Poro gets caught. Uh, in the first half as well. And um, I just think that, yeah, with obviously with the option uh, and squad issues that we have now, um, you're kind of relying on everyone to do their part. And, um, you know, I posed a question about the squads. I I fully understand the the like the like views around Hoibjerg. I don't think he's good enough. Um, I think he's, like when you're praising his, uh, when you're seeing his praises, Glenn, it's because we were seeing out games. He was doing the stuff that we needed him to do in the last 15 minutes, the last 10 minutes. He's not there to control a game, a game which for the first half we had over 60% possession, largely to do with the the time on which Benson Cole was on the pitch. We had 62% possession uh, in that first half. And to for the game to go from where we were um, to where we ended up, you know, and I can, I mean, let me just remind you that as soon as uh, you, we scored, as soon as we scored, we conceded and we were lucky that that goal was offside. That just goes to show the frailty of the team at the moment. So maybe um, going forward, I know you guys, I think you maybe played that midfield, we also have to play that back four against City. So, I, I, yeah, I just I, I'm I, th- really I think, sure. I think, yeah, I, I think it's quite situational. Um, the reason that we chose that back four, I think, at least some uh, connection issues. But um, yeah, I think I think it's very situational. I think against City, we are going to see Eric Dyer um, play in centre back because we are going to need a different profile of player to win the back post headers that Haaland sort of thrives off of, or the back post like sort of challenges that Haaland thrives off. Um, I don't think we'll play quite as high a line against City. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think I think we're going to see sort of a very different approach to what we've seen under Ange in a similar sort of front-footed sense, but maybe a little bit deeper line. I'm, I'm kind of seeing a bit more like defending of crosses uh, in a different way. Um, not not sitting back in any way, but defending crosses with sort of Dyer and maybe Davies as our centre-backs rather than Emerson and uh, Davies as a centre-back pairing. Paul, before we look on to the... The future. I, I I was thinking for the goals that we conceded, even including the the offside Watkins straight after yeah. we conceded goal. That I don't think if Romero's there, I don't think that goes in for a start. No. And I think it's fair to say maybe Pau Torres doesn't get on the end of something as well if Romero's in. They could even argue if Dyer's there, he's giving Torres much more of a more difficult time before he'd win in that. Um, and maybe there's a bit more organisation for the. The uh the um, Villa's eventual winner as well. So you only got your your yourselves to blame when you're missing players through suspension. Um, 
but yeah, hopefully we get a bit of dosh for Poibier in January and reinvest it into the squad in a way that's actually going to play the way that we want to. Because yeah, when when you've got an inexperienced centre back pairing, you 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 need your you need your leaders that Poibier clearly thinks that he is, and he's got bundles of Premier League appearances, international appearance. He is an experienced player and supposedly, as he likes to think, a leader as well. And if you're someone that's not helping out those players that are playing out of position where you are playing where you want to play, literally the rest, so many other players on the team are playing out of position and he couldn't do his job properly. And I think it's just, yeah, it is nailing the coffin for me. He was doing well earlier in the season where he was closing out games, but his his race is run for me. Um and I, I would have much rather see Oliver Skip in that position, just trying to do his best because I know he'd run for a, a brick wall for us and he would at least try to do the things that he needs to do rather than shirking away or or hiding. Um, but no, I do expect to see a very similar lineup with probably just the one change, Basuma for Bentoncourt against City. Um, unless Glendurite and got Dyer, Dyer to come in and deal with Haaland. Um but yeah, just just before we move on to, he, he did it last uh, season. He did it last season at Wild. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I, know, I, was there, I was there. Yeah, that I was, was going to bring well. that up. He did, he did play against Haaland last season. Although Romero did much of the meeting Haaland, let's say he did, and Romero absolutely clamped him at one point. Yeah, um, but just just let him know. Let him know you're there early. Yeah, I I just want to bring one thing up uh, before we go to a break. So just a just a just a potential just a hypothetical uh, question out there: Are you guys concerned about the potential intensity of the training or the style of play contributing to the injuries that we have? Because just as it stands, um, obviously aside from uh, Perisic, pretty much all our injuries that we've suffered are muscle injuries, um, hamstrings, calves, like things like that. Obviously, you want to. I mean, like, and and the thing is, like, obviously, some of these players, these are reoccurring issues, um, like Cessignon, who, I mean, to be honest, is like Ooh. has a, do you know what I mean, has as much durability as a, a Wallace and Gromit figure. Do you know what I mean? He's just made it. <laughs> he's just made a paper mache and wax. But um, I think, uh, yeah. Do you guys have any concerns that potentially that is contributing to um, the injuries, okay. or is it just a case of? We don't rotate enough. We don't have the squads. We we, 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 we barely played any games. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if we're just getting unlucky. Like, we we've had so few fixtures compared to other teams. Um, and I did see one nice little conspiracy that we can dig our teeth into before we go as well. That Mickey Van der Ven's hamstring wouldn't have gone if he didn't have to keep stopping for for VAR. He got he got cold. Yeah, we're we're, we're seeing a lot more minutes played this season as well. Like per game, we're seeing like games that are like 110 minutes and whatever but it, it's kind of a bit um against your point Eddie that uh, a lot of them are muscle inju- in, in injuries because I, I think obviously Mano Solomon's uh was an ACL I believe um no I think Perisic was an ACL Perisic was an ACL I think Mano Solomon's might have been an ACL as well I'm not entirely sure knee injury Madison's was an ankle injury the um uh, obviously, Bentecourt was an uh, an ankle injury that we know. Um, these are like ligament injuries, so I'm not sure it's like the intensity um, that we, we we need to worry about. It's more like, are we getting protected by referees? Because the refereeing on the weekend, 
was simply appalling. Um, we were getting kicked off the pitch the whole of the first half. And the referee, I think at one point, pulled one of their players over. I think it was Dean who pulled over and said, no more fouls. And then he makes literally two fouls, like back to back, two minutes after he's just said that to him. And it's just like the refereeing is so inconsistent. And I've I've had enough rants about refereeing in the past and I'll have more in the future. But it it does feel like we're getting kicked off the pitch a bit because we do have a lot of the ball in a lot of the games. We have like an average of like 65% possession in our, all of our games when we have like 11 men on the pitch. So it does feel like we're not being protected enough by referees. And maybe one of our one of our coaching staff or our manager needs to go into a press conference and say how much of a disgrace it is and how bad the refereeing is because that's the way you seem to get decisions in this league. I think um, it's very telling that um, obviously play, teams do have situations where their their players get kicked off the pitch, obviously, but we have so many, like Son, Madison, yeah. like Idogi, obviously Ben's core in the weekend. That is a lot of players that are just getting clamped um, week in, week out. So we do need to, I think you're right, that is a fair point to make. Um, we've got some more points to make, I'm sure, over the over the, the next half. So we'll cut to that and then we'll return for some more talk about refereeing. Hello and welcome back to part two. So briefly, we just talked about the refereeing decisions or lack of protection of our players um, in the most recent games. More, I suppose, obvious if you want to put your tin for hat on since the Liverpool game. Um, I just wanted to bring up a couple of decisions that um, didn't get, in my opinion, enough of a looking on the day. Um, first half, obviously, we heard reports that VAR was uh, there was some technical difficulties uh, uh, in the early stages of the game, and in those early stages, we saw a robust challenge in the box uh, on Hill. Um, following a bit of a scramble. Um, and it appears as though Hill gets elbowed in the face, I believe, by either Diego Carlos or Esri Conta. Um, and it, I mean, if that happens in any other context and it's not a scramble to get the ball, even in this context, it deserves a look and it didn't get one. Um, or at least not one that we were notified of. And I want to bring that up as maybe the first decision um, that you think, is this potentially a red card? Is this potentially a penalty? I'll go to Aaron first, um, because I know uh, Referees Association will have something to say about it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll go to Aaron first. So my my initial thought is that Hill does not make enough of it. And I think... If he stays down with a essentially a face or a head injury for a, longer than he did, they have got to do more about it. I think he lets them get away with it by getting up far too quickly. I think if, if he stays on the deck, Martinez can't take his goal kick because he stood where he needs to kick it from. Um, they're, and they're, they're going to look at it. Um, I don't know if that's true. That's just my my gut instinct is that he needs to make more of a meal of that. Um, and if you look... I've, I've watched the footage back and it looks so bad. How they haven't looked at it is is beyond me. Whether it's a penalty or not, as 
hasn't even crossed my mind. Just the physical elbow into the it's literally the his eye socket. It's unfathomable that they haven't even looked at it. Like I, regardless of making a decision, yes or no, they haven't even looked. Well, haven't even considered. Well, here's and the thing. So, so referees panel today, uh, Dermot um, Mc Pooface, whatever his name is. Um, seemed to confirm that they did have a look at it and they cleared it. So if that's true, then I think it's an, an even more egregious mistake. Um, what? I believe that early on in the game that maybe they potentially didn't get to take a look at it and that's the reason why it didn't. But if it was looked at and cleared, then that is a pretty, pretty, pretty awful decision. Um, yeah, Glenn. Yeah, so basically the problem with VAR wasn't actually the people who were looking at it at Stockley Park. They could see it, they cleared it. They just couldn't get the ref to go to the monitor to do anything, basically. And they had already cleared it before they figured out that they had this issue with VAR. Um, Yeah, so they actually cleared the decision, which to me is complete craziness because... You see these elbows when people go up for headers. You're using it as leverage to sort of um, get in an advantage by gaining height on a player. When both of you are stood on the floor and someone actually swings their elbow into someone's face, that's when we see like a serious issue because like that's just a foul everywhere on the pitch and a red card because it's violent conduct in my opinion like it, it there's just no world where that's not violent conduct and uh it's just a, a it's just a damning again it's just i can't be bothered talking about referees every week but the fact that they have seen this and not even said to the ref to go over to the monitor is just complete craziness it's just the intent you can see it he's looking at his head and he swings his elbow in his face like and come so, on so what what we're saying is that brian hill is too honest in that position and should make more of it than he does and and the thing is is like do we want that i don't i, I, don't, I don't know if, i don't even know if he like if he stays down for ages it seems as though they've checked it anyway. Like, I don't think it gets made into a penalty. I think referees don't want to. Referees don't want to make these decisions, especially because the crowd didn't see it that well. Mm. Um, referees don't want to make these decisions, and VAR is even worse now because of what happened in the Liverpool game, especially on Spurs' side. I think they really don't want to make decisions now. So anything that they're just going to go with the referee's decision because there's no pressure on the ref to make these decisions until after the game. So that is an early, early on is an indicator that, yeah, once again, we're seeing a game that's being dictated by um, VAR either taking action or, or refusing to take action. Um, and then later on in the game, obviously at uh, a later point, we see, Cash uh, get a yellow card for a challenge on Bentoncourt that eventually rules Bentoncourt out the rest of the game. My initial response to that was, obviously, it's a yellow card. 
Um, obviously, it's a bad challenge. But the more uh, we saw it, re- like replays of it and stuff, I do want to ask a question. Um, and I know that actually this would be a good one to, to pose to you, Glenn, first. The remits of a red card seem to be now, at this time, um, violent conduct, which is, I guess, kind of clear, uh, although not in Brian Hill's case, um, but seems to be quite clear, or like reckless endangerment of a of a of a player. So it has to be it, a challenge can be reckless, but if it doesn't endanger a player, then it's uh, then it might not be given as a red card. Violent conduct should just be given as a straight red card. A challenge where the player gets a ball but follows through like Curtis Jones is also a red card. So in this this in this position where a player has no intention to play the ball, clears a player out, um and, and clearly that the intention was to 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 either hurt the player or to to completely break the rhythm of the game. It's not a violent tackle, I guess. It's not endangering the player. But where, like, how does, how do you even, how in the context of the game, how do you even justify that and and not justify uh, and and then seemingly justify. Although it was in our favour, a a a Curtis Jones, a Romero, where the ball gets played first, and then the man, even though the the, the follow through is dangerous, like at the end of the game, both games, Basuma and Enzo walk off the pitch, play ninety minutes. Uh, Benson Court does not get off the pitch because of that challenge. What what is a red card, and should and is if there's no intention to play the ball then that is endangering a footballer. That is endangering a player. Yeah. I think I have a very different view to a lot of um, Spurs fans on this. I think it's a bit of an orange card. Um, Obviously, he's injured our player as a result of this tackle. Obviously, it was a terrible tackle. Um, I think that referees will get away with this one, and I don't think he'll be put in the spotlight at all just because he hasn't used his studs like he's not used his like studs mm-hmm. facing the player um he hasn't come from like quite a distance away like you see with the ones that are sort of um bad first touches and then the player goes in like on a sprint so that's how they'll judge the excessive force um i think it is high definitely um but it also is one of those tackles that you're side by side. So he hasn't used a scissor movement. So he's only used like a one leg sort of motion. Um, And referees kind of look for at least two of those for it to be a red. I think it's an awful tackle. I think the ball's miles away. I think he has, as a result, injured our player. But the referees will hide behind the fact that you kind of need two of these categories. And Spurs fans, I and I agree, will argue that there is excessive force used but referees can subjective their way out of that quite easily so it is like an orange orangey card for me um it's not a leg breaker in the fact that he hasn't used like his studs like directly on the guy's shin so it doesn't look that bad on the replay and i think the neutrals are like quite in agreement that it's a yellow card but 
it's a terrible tackle, basically. And he has actually gone to try and leave one in on him. Um, very similar to the one that we saw with Doherty. Um, that was a yellow card. And I argued at the time that it was an orange card. But again, all Spurs fans think it's a red because our, one of our players has got injured as a result of it. Um, I, I don't think it's a... I don't... I guess the reason why I'm asking what a red is is because I think we we're getting into a conversation about safeguarding players. I think yeah. that like these those types of challenges like absolutely should be stamped out because uh, I understand letting them know you're there that type of challenge, but you have to get the ball. You have to get the ball. Like yeah. I, I think I, I I do think that like going into those challenges with no intention to play the ball is 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 where you get into um, questions of safeguarding because players, we've seen it, players who didn't get enough uh, protection early on in their careers have suffered so much um, later in their careers. Hazard, Neymar, Neymar. like players that have had reoccurring bad injuries because they, they, they don't get protected by referees. And it's because these players are so good on the ball that the only thing that you can do is foul these players. And listen, I'm not saying Benton cause Hazard or Neymar, but he is a player that dictates the football and was getting on the ball. And that tackle was born out of frustration because they had a goal disallowed. It was right after the goal was disallowed. And it was born out of the fact that he was getting on that ball and controlling the play. Madison gets it every week and that's probably contributed to his ankle injury as well. So uh, this is why yeah, I, I just think, getting into that conversation... Yeah. I just think that referees are going to be able to hide behind the fact that it didn't match two of their red card criteria for a tackle that was sort of with the feet. Obviously, violent conduct, that's a red. Spitting at someone, that's a red. Like, abusing a referee, that's a red card. Like we saw with Lewis Dunk this weekend, called um, Anthony Taylor something very abusive. I think a fucking bell end or something along the lines of that. But he saw a straight red for that. Um... And I, ju- I just think that referees are able to hide behind the fact that whether he's been injured in it or not, the tackle was didn't pass the two criteria, the five criteria that you need two out of to um, sanction a red card. But again, it's subjective because I would argue that that was with excessive force. Other argue- other referees would argue that he's side by side with him. So how can it be with that much force? Um, he hasn't ran up to him and kicked him. Basically, is what like is what it is. It's injured probably our most influential player of the first thirty minutes, and probably for quite a while as well. Um, it didn't look great. It looked like he thought he would be out for a very long time afterwards, and he looked about as ginger as I've ever seen any player come back onto a field. Um, so again, I think that's probably another six months out for Bentancur, which is a, a massive shame. I mean, if that if that is the case, um, then it's just another injury on the top of a litany of yeah. other injuries in a position which was already precarious with the depth that we had. Um, Saw so we don't know what to what extent that injury is going to end up being. Um, Basuma. You know he's he he's suspended now, but he has had a history of injuries. He's rarely stayed fit for a whole season, um, like in first fight football. 
And so then you're looking at players that we know just aren't good enough. Boybjerg, Skip. Um, we're really on our like our last our last legs, as it were. Um, the other decision that I wanted to bring up, although I I do think that this is the right decision, um, the Kulisewski decision. So um, later on in the game, uh, there was a challenge on Kulisewski, which was inside the box, which did follow through uh, and did catch Kulisewski. The ball was won. I do wonder what you guys thought, because again, like, Romero's penalty got the ball, but the follow-through was excessive. Kulisevsky's not a penalty, did win the ball, follow-through whilst not excessive, does catch him. Does it matter? Because the ball's already been won and it wasn't excessive. It's it even foul. That's a penalty. I'm sorry, but that is a penalty, I think. This time I'm actually going to go against a lot of the refereeing um, sort of community or whoever they want to call themselves now because they're shit. Um, but yeah, that's a penalty. So if Romero's is a penalty and a red card, I think that one's a penalty and a yellow card because it's a foul when you follow through on someone and catch them that high up on the foot. Like anywhere else on the pitch, that is a foul and a yellow card. Why is it not a penalty? A foul was committed. It's a yellow card tackle. Why is it not a penalty? And they actually had quite a long look at that, which um, at the end of the game, I was quite surprised they didn't give a penalty um, for it after they looked at it for that long because I think they will have seen that he's caught him quite high on the foot and it is a follow-through but he's won the ball. Um, I'm not sure, again, whether they're going to hide behind was it a clear and obvious error um, or if the VAR at TV was working at the, like at that point because they say it was, but it probably wasn't, to be honest, because the referee didn't have to go over to the monitor once and he wasn't sent over to the monitor once. So they're probably going to hide behind the fact that it wasn't a clear and obvious error when I think it is a very clear, clear and obvious error when he's caught him that high on the foot after again a pretty terrible tackle with leaving his studs in there um that can be a foot breaker i don't see why that's not a foul and obviously you guys are both at the game but i'm assuming aaron you may have had another look at it um do you agree with glenn that it is a penalty um do you agree with glenn that it's a clear and obvious error i i do agree but all, all you can assume is that they've deemed that um, that the difference between this and Romero is that excessive force and the way in which that the um, the attacker's been been caught. But it does reek of a lack of consistency. Um, I don't see that the the difference between the two challenges is such that the the um, decision should go completely the other way. I think they fall into the same category, um, and I think. It, it even is somewhat similar to the Curtis Jones in the way that you get the ball. Obviously, Curtis Jones goes over the top and it catches someone very, very high, but won the ball, still got the man. The decision should have gone the other way. Um, and I think the, the the crowd knew a lot more about that. It's one of the ones where like the crowd's probably not too sure who got the ball first, but they're going to shout for it anyway. Um, but having watched it all back, like, that's that's I think they've got that one wrong. Um 
And it does, it does make you think that referees are in such a hole at the moment. Their, their stock has probably never been lower, or certainly not in the VAR era, hasn't been lower. Um, and they've got a lot of making up to do. It doesn't seem like things are going to get any better. Um, I A lot of my problem with VAR is that we've see, we see it work so well in so many other sports, in other invasion games as well. And there's just no reason for it to be going this badly. You don't have it in other sports where it's it's so poor. And football claims to be the, well, it is the biggest sport in the world. And there's just no reason for it to be this dreadful. And someone has to do something about it. And I just don't think it's going to get done anytime soon. Something I would like is the the automated offsides that we've, we've, we've seen in a few competitions. I think they would we would benefit from them. I don't know if anyone else agrees. Um, but I think they would make everyone's lives a bit easier rather than having two donkeys play pin the tail on or whatever and try and stick the lines on the field. I think the automated system works a lot better. It seemed to work well in the World Cup. Um, but I think we've got a long way to go. Yeah. And I don't want to spend every podcast talking about refereeing decisions. They shouldn't dictate a game. And yet we're seeing it time and time again where they absolutely dictate a game. Um, a couple of weeks ago, City against Arsenal, potentially one of the worst refereeing uh, performances I've seen in a high-profile game, um, where Kovacic should have probably been sent off three times um, yeah. and, and managed to stay on the pitch. Um, and that's just one of a litany of like bad, bad performances from referees. Um, they seem to all just get demoted to the championship for a week and then come back up again. There isn't any consistency. There isn't any. Um, there isn't any like. There, there isn't any like punishment that like corrects any of these issues. There's no um, responsibility taken by the PGMOL to like iron out these issues. Um, and I don't want to have to bang on about referees. We're not here to discuss when referees we're here to discuss football um but as long as they didn't take the outcomes of games we're just going to have situations like this again and again where we're looking at decisions saying this could turn a game um and that isn't to say that we you know we shouldn't have closed this game off in the first half and we didn't really mention this i guess but we blew them away we absolutely blew them away and one of the questions I wanted to ask is, did Ange manage or coach a 3-0 win and our attackers threw it away? Or is it a case of we play like this because we know deep down we don't have the personnel to control a game for 90 minutes? Or is it a mixture of both? I think on, on another day, we've, we've scored three in about five minutes. That Kulisevsky did so well to create the, the space for himself, and he'd been fuming that he's, he's struck the post there. And I think that we 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 go on the game six is a different course. Like so many things don't happen if if that goal goes in, and we had a lot of chance. We had so many chances. I think if that maybe it comes down to we've got a little bit of a lack of quality in some areas as to why we haven't gone on to win that game. And I think that. For me, if you put Romero or Van der Ven in and 
uh, definitely Madison in, we win that game easily. And I, I don't think that's even... I, Villa didn't look good, in my opinion, at all. They, they took advantage of our vulnerabilities at the at the back. But I think if we have two of our best players this year in Van der Ven and Madison, in, then that's, that game's not even a contest for me. Yeah, I, th- I think it's... I agree with Aaron, it's a game of inches. Um, and uh, Son being marginally offside for a couple of them... Uh, Kulisevsky um, hitting the post and Udogi missing a pretty clear chance early on in the game. Oh, yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, I think on another day, we bring Dyer and Hoybier on early on in the second half and we're defending a 3-0 lead or a 3-1 lead at least. And I have hated on Hoybier in this podcast and I said it's his worst game in a Spurs shirt, but in a different situation, when you're defending a 3-1 lead, you might want someone to control the ball for a bit longer. Ish. He might, really? he might, yeah, maybe. It, it, well, it's it just, it's just giving ourselves the, like, for the whole time that I've supported Spurs, we've never done things the easy way, but no. to, to be in a position where you, you can, you can say without even, w- w- without even a hesitation that half an hour in, we should be 3-0 up. Is it's frustrating. We started so well against Chelsea. We started really well against Wolves, um, and I think this is potentially even better than those two games. We started brilliantly on Monday, uh, on Sunday, only to for that to be the outcome. I think that's very frustrating for me. Um, I think, like you said, guys, it just changes the complexion of the game, um, and I can only assume how frustrated Ange is as a result. Um, obviously, we just saw a clip of him um, come up on, on social media, um, just absolutely fuming at Son being offside. One of those, thing, one of those things is, um, I don't, the, the amount of times that we got caught offside was so poor on the weekend. Um, the timing of those runs just needs to be better, or the timing of those passes, but we shouldn't be offside that often. I think that's really uh, frustrating. This- this is the sort of game where you want a whole week to prepare for their offside trap. And obviously Son coming back from Asia has probably only had one training session. So it's not something you're going to ha- be able to work on in one training session. Um, yeah, I think if, if you have a whole week with the whole squad um, going into this game, I think we smash them as well. Um, I think that's just another thing to add to the tally because... Uh, Bentoncourt, uh, Lacelso, um, Romero. Oh, I guess he didn't play. Well, well, yeah, obviously, the the and Valise and all the people coming from South America, and then you've got Saar coming back from Africa. Um, like these aren't short trips from Europe. <laughs> uh, yeah, it it can't have made our our pre- preparations any easier for this weekend. I'm kind of just up to making excuses now. And at the start of the podcast, I was in the mind frame where I wasn't going to make excuses for um, the loss and that I was kind of expecting it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, this kind of uh, leads us on to the, the final point that um, we wanted to discuss. The Obviously, the next few games, tough. Um, we have obviously City at home. Uh, we have West Ham 
uh, away, and I think we have Newcastle at home. Or no, City away, West yeah. Ham at home, Newcastle at home. Um, historically, even though we we get so nervous out of a City game, it is a game that we've been good at, although we would definitely be fighting the odds uh, considerably this time to get a result. Um, how do we approach these games? Obviously, we wait to see how long Benton calls out, wait to see how long Sar is out. Um, Basuma's obviously back, uh, but by and large, it's going to be a similar team. Um, how do we approach those games? I, I think that Angie's going to approach it the same way that we've approached every game. If, we, if we're going... We're going for it with nine men against Chelsea. I see no reason why starting the game at nil-nil against City with 11 men on the pitch that we're not going to be going for it in the same way. Um, I like. Well, I feel like everyone assumes that the the front six will be largely the same with the one swap Basuma for Bentenker, and then it's up to uh, whether Eric Dyer is going to going to come in or not. Um, I would be a, I'd be very very disappointed if um, Hoybier is in the team in any way, shape, or form. If Sars fit, maybe there is a way for him to get into the team. Um, well, I, I don't see any reason. If, if he's fully fit, then I don't see any reason why he would have. He won't be starting. Um, but I, I, I fear. I do fear for Ben Davis and Emerson if they are if they're coming up against that that big Norwegian lad because um, they they may be in a bit of trouble. Um, but yeah, you're right. The the history suggests that we seem to pull it out of the bag against City. I won't I won't be um too surprised if we get turned over, in all honesty. Um and then we obviously have to look forward to West Ham's cup final. Um I, I hate the fact that so many other teams wear their biggest game. It just it just I feel like it puts us at such a disadvantage that everyone wants to fuck us. It's just like no no one hates other teams like they hate us. Um but that's because we're fucking massive. Um, but I think we've got to we've got to sort out West Ham and Newcastle. We've got to have victories at home in those if we're going to stay on course. City will be what it will be. Uh, I, th- I think if we're going to if we're going to not let the top force get a bit bit sticky, we need to be winning at home, and City will be what it'll be. Yeah, yeah. Um... Do you know what it is? It's always against West Ham. We play on like a midweek under the lights. All their fans have been boozing all day. They're taking their day off work because it's their <laughs> cup final. They they've been hyping themselves in in the boozer all day that uh, down the East End, and they come to Spurs, and their players show up every fucking time against us. <laughs> it's always against us. He's done it again. <laughs> yeah, they, they've taken they've taken today off. And they're taking tomorrow off because they know they're going to have a big day. No matter win, lose or draw, they're going to come to the Spurs and try and do something. I don't know. It's, they just love it. And it's so frustrating. And I'm going to be going to the game and I don't even know what to... I don't even know what to think about it because no matter what team they put out, it's just going to be some bullshit. That's all I know. It's going to be some bullshit. City, I don't care. I'm not even going to preview the City game. You've done that enough. The big Norwegian lad is uh, probably going to be triple captain of our fantasy football team because I don't fancy the prospect of him 
Uh, it doesn't matter who we field in that back four. I fancy him against all of them. I fancy him against our whole team. You could play him against eleven men. I reckon he'd win. Yeah, I that yeah that yeah just like him and him and Edison. Just him and Edison. Yeah, him and Edison. I would I would back them to score at least one. And then you then you got to worry about bloody Julian Alvarez and Bernardo Silva. The list bloody goes on. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't even want to think about Doku and them, man. I honestly don't because, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> because as soon as you get into as soon as you get into that, then you, you start losing hair. And, um, I don't think <laughs> you need any more encouragement. Um, so I think, yeah, I it it's you're not gonna your season's not gonna hinge on beating City. I think that's the way I'm gonna look yeah. at it. Um, like you said, Aaron, they're gonna be where they're gonna be. Regardless of whether we we win or or not on the weekend, I think <laughs> at least you can look at it in the sense that like if we lose, at least they're not dropping points in a tighter race against Arsenal. That's all I'm gonna have to say on that. Um, I do think that we have to, yeah, we have to win our games at home. We can't allow for many more Aston Villa type um, results. Uh, away from home, it will be what it will be. Um, we were actually good away from home at the beginning of the season, so. I expect us to pick up those points when our players start coming back. Um, but yeah, home fixtures are so important just to keep the the, the vibe at the club up. Um, so yeah, I mean, unless there's anything else that we want to discuss, obviously um, that's been an hour and a half or, well, not an hour and a half, an hour a bit of us being, uh, I'd say pretty level-headed about um, what's going on at Tottenham. Um well then, if that's the case, uh, I'd like to thank uh, you guys for joining me tonight. Um, cheers, Glenn, and cheers, Aaron. Thank you for having me. I'd even yeah, let Glenn thank say anything. Thank, thank even let Glenn, I, was, I was trying to find the mute button, as per <laughs> usual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even get. Nah, no one's allowed to say anything. I'm just going to sign this off. Nah. Um, obviously, if you've <laughs> reached the end of the podcast, first of all, thank you. Secondly. Um, Follow us on socials at N17pod or at N17podcast. Should probably know that before saying that. Um, also, please uh, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify. It really helps us with visibility. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your evening, boys. Um, I've been Eddie and it's been the N17 podcast. Cheers. <laughs>